studied the form of comics intimately. What you need is a hobby. Words and pictures, they could be more of an art form. What the fuck are you talking about? I don't know, it's pretty goddamn weird. A guy dresses up like a devil and he's a blind lawyer, you know? We have to do Aquaman. No one with a lick of sense would watch that show. The word fan actually is a, an abbreviated form of fanatic. And there are some people who fit that category. I believe comics are our last link to an ancient way of passing on history. You can put on a uniform for football year-round, nobody cares. Basketball year-round, nobody cares. Put on a Star Trek uniform, people get a case of the giggles. Yeah, hi, somebody told me they make comic books here. That's from Superman? Smallville. You've been trying that Jedi mind shit on me since the eighth grade. It doesn't work. Oh, it works. You guys must read too many comic books or something. People do not masturbate in the DC universe. That was the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. Welcome back to Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and guys, I'm lost. You see, my format's actually pretty simple when you come right down to it. I do six episodes where I talk about pretty much anything I want. I do then seventh and eighth episodes, and the eighth episode is always about Smallville, and typically, <clears throat> I'm joined in the seventh episode by Chris Honeywell of Two True Freaks fame. So, at least to begin with, so that he and I could talk about the DC Paradox Press line of big books. But, at least lately, there have been a lot of professional obstacles to, to getting together with Honeywell to record. There have been a lot of just life things that have gotten in the way. And so, really, for at least a while, I'm going to be kind of hard up for ideas on what exactly I should do for my seventh episodes, because, like I say, I can't get together with Chris Honeywell to record anything, at least for right now. So, what I did was I put up an announcement on the Trennis Magnus Punches Reality Facebook group, And basically, I said, guys, I have an idea for a seventh episode, which is to say the seventh episode that you're listening to right now. I've got an idea for it, and what I'm sort of curious is, curious about is, is this something that you guys would even want to listen to? And the response to that, to that post that I put up on the Facebook group, the response that I got was, it was pretty clear. I mean, you guys apparently really do want to listen to me talk about this. And 
The this that I'm referring to here is Kevin Smith. Now, before I can start talking about, I guess, goings on with Kevin Smith and all of these things that have been happening lately, I think it might be a little bit worthwhile to give you a little bit of history in terms of, I guess, my experience with Kevin Smith and I guess more broadly, his work. Because ultimately, I think that's the thing that should matter the most, but as we'll get into in just a little bit, that may not really be the case anymore, but all in good time. So to start with, I started off my freshman year of high school in the fall of 1995, right? And one of the things that I've just sort of noticed about life is that a lot of people, it's like they develop a new social life, you know, a new social circle of friends starting their freshman year in high school. And then that circle of friends, it's like it grows and evolves and it changes and it mutates such that by the time you graduate from high school, assuming that you stay in the same high school the entire time, by the time you finally do graduate, <clears throat> it's quite completely feasible that you're going to have a different circle of friends your senior year, when you're finishing your senior year, as compared to when you started your freshman year. And indeed, that's what happened in my case, but I guess my senior year really has jack shit to do with anything, so I'll just move right along. So, freshman year, right? Like I say, started in uh, high school in the, in the fall of 1995. And as I say, pretty much developed a new, a new circle of friends. And, you know, hanging out at a friend's house one night, and he said, hey man, I saw this movie, I thought it was fucking hysterical, we need to watch it. And he popped into the VCR, because this was the 90s, he popped into the VCR a copy of Mallrats. And he explained to me, he's like, yeah, this is actually uh, this director's second movie. His first movie was actually called Clerks, and it was shot in black and white. And it was pretty funny, but his opinion is that, or at least was, that Mallrats is actually the better movie of the two. Now, I think history has kind of come to have a different opinion about that. But nevertheless, that was at least his opinion at that time, right? So I'd never heard of Kevin Smith. I'd never, I'd never heard of Clerks. I'd never heard of Mallrats. Never heard of any of it, right? So I thought, well, what the fuck? Uh, why not? You know, it's a new movie. Let's watch it. So I watched it. And guys, I'm not going to lie to you. I fell in love with Mallrats, you know? I was 14 years old and not exactly the sharpest knife in the drawer, especially back then. And I don't know why, but there was something about that movie that just kind of spoke to me, you know, I couldn't explain it to you, you know, there's, cause when you think about it, I mean, I, there's a sense in which comedy is a sort of a difficult thing to rationalize because rationalization to rationalize something is, it's to kind of intellectualize it. And should comedy really be intellectualized? Well, I don't know. Probably not, you know? And there's no great insight as to the human condition. There's no 
there, there's no meaning of life to be found in mall rats, you know? It's just for some reason, I fell in love with it, and I thought, this is a perfect movie. This is just great. This movie's fucking amazing, you know, blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. And that was really my introduction to to Kevin Smith, you know? And not very long later, like a year or two later, Chasing Amy came out. I saw that. And basically liked it, but it would be fair to say that Chasing Amy is a much more mature movie. And I don't mean that just in the sense of, you know, tits and ass or anything like that, you know, uh, what mature means, I guess, in a sort of a comic book idiom. It was just, I, I guess, a little slice of life, you know, this is, I guess, an adult's perspective on things, you know, and, you know, enjoyed it, but it really... That's not a movie for teenagers, you know, let's just be realistic. Chasing Amy, that's a movie for college kids. That's a movie for young adults. That's a movie for old adults, you know. It's not for high school kids. And when I was a senior in high school, so just to kind of set the timeline here, I saw Mallrats on tape when I was a freshman in high school. I saw Chasing Amy when I was a junior in high school. And then, as I've mentioned in a couple of previous episodes, I got stricken with Satan's own case of mono my senior year in high school. And so as a result, I missed something like a month or two months or something like that of school. I was I just couldn't go. I was too fucking sick. You know, and so as a result, that kind of made every night a blockbuster night. You remember blockbuster nights? I do. Anyway, so finally watched uh, Clerks uh, my my senior year. I, like I say, I was home, I was sick, I had mono, and there was nothing else really to do except watch a shitload of TV. So pretty much that's that's what I did. And one of the things that really drew me into Kevin Smith's work, you know, just his movies and whatnot, is the fact that he... It's like he was the ultimate fanboy made good, you know? And I don't know if I would have necessarily thought to intellectualize it, at least this way back, you know, back in those days. But, you know, it it's it, it's like the characters in a lot of Kevin Smith movies could have been friends of mine, you know? I could have known, liked, and been friends with people like that. You know, it's not a stretch to think that I knew, or at least could have known, somebody like Brody from from Mallrats. You know, somebody like like that. You know, a comic book guy who is... I don't want to say divorced from reality, but doesn't necessarily have both feet firmly planted in the real world, you know? Well, if I wasn't that person myself, I could have known people like that, would have been friends with people like that. You know, it was very identifiable and recognizable, at least to me, you know, and through a lot, at least of Smith's first three movies, there was a lot of relatability going on there related to geeks, fan culture, comic book collectors, and all of those sorts of things, you know. And, I mean, shit, for a long time there, the closest I ever came to any con of any kind 
was the beginning sequence of chasing Amy, you know? But apart from that, you know, the comic book stores that would pop up in these movies, well, I've been to comic book stores like those, you know, or the kind of people who who go into those comic book stores. I knew people like that. I saw them when I went to my own LCS, you know? And so there's this, it, it, for the first time that I can remember, at least in my life, I remember seeing people like me on the screen. And so I guess notwithstanding the actual quality of these movies, how good they really are or are not, I was sort of attracted to them simply because there's nothing else out there to choose from. There's nothing else out there that looks like the people that I'm friends with or that looks like me or that sounds like me or sounds like the kind of things that me and my friends would talk about. You know, pretty much Kevin Smith was the only game in town, you know, and there was a time and it's kind of funny to think about it now, but guys, there was a time when he was sort of like, I guess uh, like a nerd Moses or something like that to where he was leading his people into Hollywood. And you know what? For the first time, it seemed like, you know, people like us were actually making fucking inroads into Hollywood. I mean, guys, I grew up in a time and in a place when Hollywood hated comics. They hated fans. They hated fandom. They hated all of it. All right. It was, something that weird people do. Now, keep in mind, I mean, guys, Hollywood is made up of people who would love to be in a Shakespeare movie where people run around in ruffles and, you know, like ruffly collars and fucking tights and capes and shit like that. And they're going to look at me and say, hey, I'm weird. You know, well, fuck you. But anyway, the point is, for the first time, it seemed like geek culture was finding enfranchisement in Hollywood. And Kevin Smith was kind of at the forefront of all of that. You know, he's one of us. I mean, Kevin Smith, he's he's a good fella. He's one of us, you know, and he's out there making the kind of movies that I want to see. You know, shit, the kind of movies that I'd want to make if I was a filmmaker. And it, it just, it, it's hard to describe now, especially since it's so commonplace, but it's it's hard to describe now what it meant to see somebody who likes the same shit that I do receiving actual respect in the film industry, you know, it was, it was just a different world, you know, and it felt like the possibilities truly were endless. And then I don't know what happens. It's things just kind of started to change. You know, the next movie that Kevin Smith released was, was dogma in 1999 and it's hard to it's it's hard to describe but this was the first time that it really seemed like you know Kevin Smith and I are just on a different wavelength from one another you know that maybe i should just do a movie about dogma or sorry do a movie maybe i should just do an episode about dogma as a movie at some point i don't know but to me i mean I guess not to go too far into religious territory or anything like that, but, you know, dogma is just filled to overflowing with a, with a kind of uh, ooey-gooey, spiritual but not religious kind of pretentious fucking bullshit that 
honestly, it just drives me up the wall when people say stupid, pretentious uh, things like that, like in real life, and think they're they're being clever or intellectual and in saying that, you know, I love Jesus, but I hate religion. Well, whatever. Pretentious fuck. So, I don't know. And this is not to speak of the fact that dogma is just so over the top, melodramatic. I mean, I realize that there's a very serious story that's being told in dogma. And this isn't necessarily something that you can do just for laughs. But it was almost like Smith wanted to have it both ways. Number one, he wanted to just cut ties altogether with the nerds who got him where he is. Number one. Number two, he didn't want to cut them out entirely, though. Uh, he didn't want to talk about Superman comics or Stan Lee or any of that kind of stuff quite as much anymore. He didn't want to talk about Star Wars as often. But he knew which side his bread got buttered on. So he made sure to include Jay and Silent Bob in this movie, that is to say Dogma. Made sure to include Jay and Silent Bob in that movie, that way his existing audience would go see it, even though he's not really catering to his existing audience anymore. So, I mean, I just kind of had problems with that. But then there's the fact that Linda Fiorentino gives, I have to assume at Kevin Smith's behest, he gives one of the most, she gives one of the most melodramatic over-the-top performances that I've ever seen in a major Hollywood production. I mean, I, like I say, I get the fact that this is supposed to be a serious story, or at least the character is going through a, some pretty serious stuff, but I don't know. It's There's just some... It, it's like this movie, it finds levity in all of the wrong ways and in all of the wrong places, and it's serious in all of the wrong ways and in all of the wrong places, you know? And this is one of the first times when I can remember seeing a Kevin Smith movie and thinking, man, this is just a real piece of shit, you know? And there's that. But the other thing is that Smith was pretty upfront about the fact that this is more or less his ideas concerning religion. You know, these are more or less his religious views, you know? And I thought, wow, you know, I mean, a guy that up to this point, I had a little bit of respect for this guy's intellect, silly, retarded, pretentious stupidity like this. Like, really? This is what you believe? Like, really? The guy that wrote Clerks, this is what you believe? The guy that wrote Chasing Aiming, this is what you believe? Okay. But, I don't know. Like I say, this is just one of those times when filmmaker and at least audience member, which is to say me, we are just not on the same page with one another, you know? So, and that was really the first time that I can remember seeing a chink in Kevin Smith's armor. You know, I mean, maybe it should have been back in Chasing Amy when he, he made a movie that was so different, so far removed from what had come before. But I don't know why. Maybe it's just because Chasing Amy had both feet firmly planted in the comic book world, so that even though Jay and Silent Bob, they only have that one scene in the movie, Smith is still not leaving the audience that he's built up to this point. He's not leaving them out in the cold. But I think he kind of did with Dogma, you know? And that was just not a journey that I was prepared to take.
you know? Not to mention the fact that just on a theological level, I disagree with a lot of the core premises put forth by dogma. And God knows all the more now that I'm a Catholic, you know? I mean, wow. So, whatever. And then after that came... After that came Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And it's basically nothing but Jay and Silent Bob basically doing kind of a road movie sort of a thing. And they're poking a lot of fun at Hollywood. And honestly, I mean, I probably should have a, a lower opinion of that movie. But the fact is, that movie came out at, at the end of the summer of 2001. And guys, that was a really hard summer for me on a lot of levels, just like on a personal level. That was a hard summer for me. You know, I'd gotten out of this relationship in the spring of 2001, you know, the first relationship I'd ever really had. Just a sec while I take a sip off of my Coke here. The first relationship that I'd ever really had. That came to a, a pretty bad ending in the spring of 2001. And so, I mean, I, you know, looking back at it, like sometimes you don't really understand what you're experiencing and what you're going through, like at the time. It's really only when you look back at things then that you're able to realize, you know, shit, I was really miserable back then. But it's true. You know, looking back at it now, you know, what I realized is that I spent the majority of the summer of 2001 going through a, a kind of a, I guess, a minor depression, you know, where I'd come home from work and basically I'd eat beer and Oreos uh, for dinner. I'd have beer and Oreos for dinner, uh, watch TV for a little while, drink some more beer, uh, you know, go to you know, fall asleep and then wake up the next morning and do it all over again, you know? And that was my summer during 2001, you know? And I was coming out or starting to come out the other side of what I think is a, a minor depression, probably around the, the middle or the end of July. And so by the time that Jay and Silent Bob uh, came out in theaters, it's not so much that I was primed to go see this movie. I was ready to go. I just couldn't wait. I was looking forward to it, etc. It's not really that so much. It was really more that, you know, I was ready for this summer to be over. I was ready to go back to school. You know, I was ready, you know, back to college. I was ready to do, basically to move on and start putting my life back together, you know, and... What ended up happening was I won some contest or another and I ended up getting free passes to see Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. It was basically an advanced screening of the movie before its actual commercial release date. And I ended up getting like, I want to say like four passes or something like that. And so I invited some friends. We all went to see the movie. We had a great old time doing it. And I remember coming out of that movie and the understanding that we all had was that, kind of like Revenge of the Sith, this is it. You know, Jay and Silent Bob was going to be, as Revenge of the Sith was supposed to be the last Star Wars movie, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, that was going to be the last of the View Askew, or at least the Askew-universe movies. And then after that, 
Smith was going to move on to more, I guess, more mature types of storytelling, you know, more, more mature types of movies, you know, and not necessarily, again, not in the sense of violence or, or sex or nakedness or anything like that, but not necessarily doing, as he's a, kind of fond of saying, not doing dick and fart jokes quite as much anymore, you know? And honestly, I mean, I was ready for the View Askew universe to come to an end. You know, it was, I think, a good time for something like that to happen. You know, things were changing for me on a personal level. And from all outward appearances, things seemed to be changing for Kevin Smith, too. And it kind of seemed like, you know, the whole idea of the Askew universe, that's something that we can just leave in the past now. And I was ready for that to be it. And guys, I honestly don't know what bug crawled up Kevin Smith's ass, but in the ensuing years after the release of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, it's like he went so fucking far out of his way to offend his original audience that it actually, it got to the point when I, I kind of started thinking of this guy as being a little bit of an unbearable fuck in as much as he would talk down and criticize, you know, comic book collectors. And, you know, dude, these are your people. I mean, number one, this is who you are, okay? You're a collector, all right? Don't act like you're not up, uh, up at the LCS every Wednesday picking up your loot, okay? I know you are, all right? You own original artwork. You know, uh, of all people, you know, Smith was the guy that, honestly, he kept the Star Wars flag flying in a time and in a place when nobody gave a shit about Star Wars. I mean, these days, Star Wars is kind of a subject on everybody's lips. But when Kevin Smith was was doing Clerks, the first movie, fucking nobody cared about Star Wars. It, it, it wasn't a thing at that time, you know, and hadn't been for a very long time, you know. And now it's like he had turned his back on all of that. He was making fun of people who said Han shot first and, you know, people who who collect comics and what a bunch of what a weird bunch of dorks they all are and all of this stuff. It's like he was just looking down his nose at us, you know, like basically the people that formed the bedrock of his audience that helped put him where he is, that made him fucking rich and famous and all that stuff. And it's like he was turning his back on us. You know, and so just like right then and there, my views and opinions about Kevin Smith, it's not that I started to hate the guy or anything, because I, I, I don't, I really don't want to over-dramatize it too much. I really don't. But it's like, you know, it, this guy just isn't really as cool as I thought he was, you know? So I, I just had real problems with that, you know? I've, I've always got a problem with it when an artist or a storyteller, fucking whoever, demean their own audience you know i've just i've got problems with that you know i mean it's like dude if it really bothers you that much you don't have to cash the checks you really don't so whatever anyway so there was that but years down the line word came down the pipeline that you know what son of a bitch there's gonna be a sequel to Clerks. Now, it seems like a weird thing to say now, but this was kind of a revelation at the time. I mean, uh, I think it would be fair to say that Smith had kind of pussyfooted around with 
making some type of a sequel to Clerks, and I don't mean just Mallrats, which is a movie set in the same universe, but I mean a bona fide sequel to Clerks that follows the same characters and, at least theoretically, the same format of Clerks. You know, there had been talk of some kind, or at least rumors, of an animated Clerks movie, and that never really happened. Then, at some point, there there actually was, it didn't last long, but there actually was an animated Clerks uh, cartoon show. I, I believe it was on ABC. And that ended up getting canceled pretty early on. So I guess what I'm saying is this wasn't an this this wasn't an area that he hadn't touched before, but the idea of doing a real true blue feature length live action sequel to Clerks that just seemed on the one hand kind of unthinkable to me, you know, because what, what is that? What is a sequel to Clerks? I mean, I honestly don't know, or I didn't know, on the one hand. On the other hand, you know, kind of like Luke Skywalker, who thought there was still good in Darth Vader, I thought there was still good in Kevin Smith. And I thought, you know what? It's entirely possible that he's going to make a sequel to Clerks that's a fucking valentine. And I think history ended up proving me right about that. I was right to have faith in Kevin Smith, at least in that particular instance. I happen to think that a Clerks 2, and I guess there's a degree to which it's it's kind of a different beast than the first Clerks movie, which is to be expected. But the the same heart, the same director, the same imagination that created the first Clerks movie clearly, clearly made the second Clerks movie. Now, it's an older, wiser, and slightly more mature imagination, but it's the same imagination. And even now, I regard Clerks 2 as a a truly enjoyable movie. I mean, it's not Jaws or anything, as Paul Spataro would probably say. It's not Jaws. Shit, it's probably not even Jaws 2. But it's a fun and enjoyable movie, and it's got a lot of good heart to it. You know? And I thought, okay, this is a good a good point for the real end of the Askewniverse. Now, I never really liked Jay and Silent Bob Strike Strikes Back as a conclusion to the Askewniverse, but Clerks 2 as the conclusion yeah that that works for me you know <clears throat> so i figured well whatever is going to happen is going to happen and at least there's a there's another good movie under kevin smith's belt so we can all just move along and guys i truly don't know <clears throat> Truly don't know what happened <clears throat> to Kevin Smith since he released Clerks 2. But since that time, I mean, he has just become a different fucking person, okay? It really is as simple as that. He's just not the same guy anymore. I mean, just to, just to look at his behavior, 
because guys, keep in mind, it's not like I know the guy, you know, I, I've never met him or anything like that. So, you know, but going just by his behavior, I don't know if this person has gone off the deep end or he's had some kind of a psychotic episode or what, but it's almost like he's just a different man now than he used to be, you know? It's almost like he's not the same person anymore. You can tell, like I say, that the same person who wrote and directed the first Clerks movie wrote and directed the second Clerks movie. You kind of have to squint a little bit, but you can tell it's the same guy. Kevin Smith's behavior, his public statements, on and on and on, since the release of Clerks 2, you know, basically since Clerks 2 came and went from theaters, Guys, I don't know what the fuck happened to this guy, but it's like, you know, dude, you used to be good. You know, you used to be funny, not necessarily on a consistent basis, but you used to make good movies. I mean, dude, what the fuck happened? You know, when the guy's churning out stupid fucking bullshit like Red State, which you, you guys, you want to talk about an eye-opening experience, that was an eye-opening experience. You know, sometimes in life, you meet somebody who believes the exact opposite of what you do, you know? And let's just pick a subject, uh, politics. You meet somebody who believes the exact opposite of everything that you believe, right? On a worldview level. And... I don't know about the rest of you, but there's always been a part of me that wonders, I know what I think of them. What do they think of me? And Red State is a pretty good and kind of disturbing insight into what Kevin Smith really thinks about, well, to a, to a point anyway, it's a pretty good little insight into what Kevin Smith actually believes about, for lack of a better description, red state America. And it's a pretty fucking ugly picture, you know? It's like, wow, so this is what you think we're like? Like, this is what you think we believe? This is who you think we are? It's basically like he thinks everybody who lives in a red state is the fucking Phelps family. Now, I'm not going to get going on the Phelpses because, guys, there's probably nothing I can say about the Phelpses that the rest of you aren't already thinking. But it looks to me like he's painting an awfully lot of American people with the same broad brush, you know? And I don't mean just people who live in red states, but maybe are a little bit more liberal. I mean, the people who are truly in red states, you know, people who believe those things, it's like Kevin Smith seems to look at them and only see the Phelpses. Now, I would have thought that any artist would be capable of looking at reality and seeing the complexities of things. People are rarely, rarely so easily reduced you know, people will always surprise you. If you give them the chance, and over a long enough period of time, people will surprise you, you know? They don't necessarily... 
they're not necessarily who you think they are in a lot of cases, you know? And the sort of, I guess, the subtlety, the nuance of life that you would expect an artist of all people to be sensitive to, it's like it was just lost on this guy, you know? And so, I mean, now it's it's not a question of, you know, you're taking sides against your own people in the form of rejecting, you know, and making fun of comic book uh, fans and sci-fi fans and all of that stuff. Basically, the people who have paid your fucking mortgage all these years. Now we're right down to the level of, are you even really an artist? You know, I mean, there was a point when I when I thought really highly of Kevin Smith, I shouldn't go so far as to say it as like an intellectual or anything like that, but I thought, you know, he's got a pretty good head on his shoulders, you know? I mean, anybody who's capable of writing a movie like Chasing Amy, he's got an interesting insight into the human condition, you know? Now, maybe he's not exactly director par excellence. I mean, no one's going to confuse a Kevin Smith movie with an Oliver Stone movie. This I do affirm. <clears throat> But he's got a pretty good head on his shoulders. He is not a stupid man. Until you start watching Red State, and then all of that gets called into question, you know? I mean, it's almost like a propaganda piece in certain places, you know? I mean, you may as well have just hired all of the extras from the movie Deliverance and had that fill out your cast, because, my God, man. Anyway, but for as bad as all of that was, the years after that, it just, it almost made me wonder, have I ever had a sense of Kevin Smith as a person, you know? Has, is any of this real? You know, because, well, actually, I'm going to open up my little container here of uh, Ecto Cooler. Yes, I have some Ecto Cooler, some high C ecto cooler and i'm gonna take a sip off it because for some reason i've got a really fucking dry throat today mm. uh, this is great it's like a little piece of my childhood that i get to revisit i love it mm, so good and since i'm wasting time here i'm also going to take a couple drags off of my e-cig Good stuff. All right. So now, in the in the intervening years after Red State, I'd almost be tempted to say that it's like Kevin Smith has just gone off the deep end. Because if you look at a lot uh, a lot of his movies. It's almost like he had Kevin Smith superstars. You know how, like, there were the Andy Warhol superstars? Well, for a time there, there was, a, I guess, a, a, a pretty wide net, you understand, but a cast of actors that you could somewhat call the Kevin Smith superstars, you know? And I mean the obvious choices, like 
Ben Affleck, uh, Jason Lee, uh, Jeff Anderson, Brian O'Halloran, Jason Mewes, and a bunch of other guys. They were basically fixtures, regular fixtures in a lot of Kevin Smith's movies. And there came a point when they just stopped showing up in his films. I don't know what the deal was. But they just stopped showing up. They stopped associating with Kevin Smith. It's not like they became inactive or anything like that. They just stopped associating with Kevin Smith. Huh. So that's kind of weird, right? And then there's Scott Mosier. Now, again, I I don't know Kevin Smith, and I for damn sure don't know Scott Mosier. So... Don't read anything more into this than what there is. But it's like Scott Mosier, Kevin Smith's producer, their professional relationship pretty much wound down too, you know? They still do, or at least did, smodcast together. That is to say, Kevin Smith's podcast where they just hang around and uh, shoot the bull with one another. But in terms of working together and, and developing TV shows, developing movies and all these other sorts of things, no, that stuff is all gone. Just like the Kevin Smith superstars. Huh. So that's kind of interesting. Then you get into goings on with John Lovitz. The Lovitz situation. And for those of you who don't know, Basically, for the for the Hollywood Babylon uh, podcast that uh, Kevin Smith does with some other fucking jack-off, I don't remember his name, but um, Kevin Smith does a podcast called Hollywood Babble hyphen on, Babble on, kind of like Babylon, but Babble on, get it? It's a play on words. Anyway, and... <clears throat> They used to have <clears throat> another sip off of my Ecto Cooler. Guys, I really don't know why my throat is so dry today, so just bear with me. Anyway, they used to have Hollywood ba Ralph Garman, that's the guy's name. Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman, hosts of Hollywood Babylon, the podcast. They basically had a professional relationship with John Lovitz where they used uh the John Lovitz Comedy Club, I forget the name of it, but John Lovitz's Comedy Club in Los Angeles, sort of as their home base for recording their podcast. Basically, it goes a little something, something like this. They sell tickets uh, to their, I guess, their Q&As, their appearances, their speeches, what fucking whatever. And they also record them release those episodes as podcasts, and then they collect ad revenue based upon that. It's kind of an interesting and unique little model. And we are definitely into the era now of Kevin Smith as a sort of professional podcaster, as opposed to a movie director or anything like that. <clears throat> and as I say, for a long time there, they were basically headquartered at... John Lovitz's comedy club. Now, everybody involved seems to have a sort of different story in terms of what happened. 
But there came a point when that sort of cozy little relationship just sort of ended. And like I say, <clears throat> different people have a different story on what happened. I wasn't there. I'm privy to none of it. I simply know that for whatever reason, Ralph Garman and Kevin Smith parted ways with John Lovitz. And they did so, I think, in a, just a really low-class, unprofessional, and I think just fucking rude way to go. I mean, there's a there's an episode of Hollywood Babylon, I believe it's called The Lovitz Situation or something like that. And they they basically spend the like the thir- the first like 30 or 40 minutes or something like that of the episode talking shit about John Lovitz. Now guys, look. I don't know a damn thing about John Lovitz, okay? I I haven't met Kevin Smith. I don't know Kevin Smith and I for sure have never met John Lovitz and don't know John Lovitz. But what little I've ever been able to glean from him about a person, like as a person, based on, you know, interviews and TV appearances and, and things like that, he seems like an okay guy, you know? And whatever happened, happened. And so the Hollywood Babylon podcast, they found themselves a new headquarters and they parted ways with John Lovitz. So, huh. They're not associating, Kevin Smith is not associating with John Lovitz anymore either. Weird. But then we get to some other things, you know? And I'll come back to my personal favorite disassociation in a little while, but we get back to Kevin Smith announces that he's going to do a movie that's called Hit Somebody, except that changes. And now it's going to be a TV miniseries called Hit Somebody, except that changes. And now it's going to be an ongoing TV show called Hit Somebody, except he's not going to be doing that. Instead, he's going to do a movie called Clerks 3. And there's all this excitement about Clerks 3, except he's not going to do Clerks 3. He's actually going to do a movie called Mallrats 2. Except he's not going to do Mallrats 2. Instead, he's going to do Mallrats as a TV show, an ongoing TV show. And no one knows what the fuck's going on with that. And it's like every single day, it's like this guy's ADD just kicks into overdrive, and he has to go off on some new project that he wants to do. Meanwhile, fuck all is coming out. Now, I'm not saying that I am just desperate to see Mallrats 2 or that I'm desperate to see Clerks 3. But, dude, if you're going to announce that you're doing something, fucking do it, you know? And if if that means you have to wait until all of the cast and crew are in place and you have funding, you have shooting locations, you have a finished script, all of the shit that you need to make a movie, if you have to wait until all of that stuff is in place, then fine, fucking wait, you know? But it's like... He, he he just announces these new these new projects, they fucking wither on the vine, and it's like it doesn't matter because now he's talking about something else. You know, and it's just I don't know. It it's just like eight the ADD school of of hype and and uh I don't know, public relations, you know, it's just it's fucked up. So I have no idea what's going on with clerks too. Except, at least, or sorry, Clerks 3. I have no idea what's going on with Clerks 3, except that there was some kind of drama that, that was going on with Clerks 2 involving 
monies that weren't paid out. And, you know, Smith thought that, you know, he was due X, Y, and Z because of ABC. And so there was this audit that went on with the Weinstein company and all of that stuff. And as far as I know, Smith has not made and released another movie through the Weinstein company. So, huh, there's another person that's disassociating with Kevin Smith. Weird. Then we get into my personal favorite. It was this incident that really made me think, you know what? I don't know what the fuck is wrong with Kevin Smith. I'm just pretty sure I don't want anything more to do with it. And it is this. There was some big drama. And this, by the way, is very easy to find. You can search it out. You can find it on YouTube. A whole lot of he said, she said related to goings on with a TV show that was supposed to be made involving Kevin Smith and Adam Carolla. Now, guys, I've said all through this. I don't know this person. I don't know that person. I don't know what really happened, okay? And the same thing is basically true here. I don't know Adam Carolla, all right? The fact is, though, at least in his radio shows and his podcasts and all that stuff, the way he at least presents himself is that he's he's basically a straight shooter, you know? He says what he means, he means what he says, and there's usually not a whole lot of deeper subtext going on with Adam Carolla. You don't have to peel back the layers of meaning and interpretation to figure out what does he really mean. No, he pretty much fucking says what he really means. And here he is telling me stories about Kevin Smith saying, hey, we need to get together. We need to do our own TV show. It'll be, it'll be funny. And it's, it's, it's going to be, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> it's going to be funny. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be big and it's going to be so much fun. You know, we, we should do this. And I guess as luck would have it, Corolla gets offered a sort of a, a TV sort of talk show sort of a thing. Just a couple of days later, you know, Kevin Smith no sooner says that to him than by what I suppose is sheer coincidence, Corolla gets offered to do a, he gets an offer to do a show. I don't It's on some fucking channel, Comedy Central or something like that. I don't know. It's one of them. You're on the right track. And so he says, okay, well, here's a chance. Uh, Smith, let's, let's do this. This sounds like it'll be a lot of fun. And Smith totally fucking flakes on the guy. Now, and as a result of all of that, the show fucking never happens. Now, look, I can accept the fact that the former cast of a lot of Kevin Smith movies, maybe they just wanted 
move on to other things. They want to do other types of TV shows. They want to do other types of movies. They don't want to be stuck playing the same types of characters over and over again for the rest of their lives. Guys, I can completely understand that, you know? Fine. Then you get to Scott Mosier. Maybe he doesn't want to be Kevin Smith's producer for the rest of his life. I mean, the guy went to film school. Maybe he wants to be a writer. Maybe he wants to be a director in his own right. Maybe he just wants a bigger career than what he can be as the number two at View Askew Productions. I can understand that. But the common denominator through all of these different stories related to the cast of Kevin Smith's movies, the crew of Kevin Smith's movies, the studio heads that release Kevin Smith movies, people like John Lovitz, people like Adam Carolla. The common denominator here and all of these people disassociating themselves with Kevin Smith seems to be Kevin Smith. There comes a point when you kind of have to start asking, who's really at fault here? You know? Now, guys, look. If there's one thing I love, it's a rivalry. Guys, I have talked to nearly every single podcaster that I personally know wanting to do a phony baloney rivalry. You know, and basically the idea that I had was that it would be sort of like the WWE where I get to win for a little while and then they get to win for a little while. And then after a while we make up and everything's back to normal right? And that was kind of like the loose sort of script I had. And the idea was, you know, we can kind of stir up my listeners, we can stir up their listeners, and it'll be a lot of fun. You know, all of them told me the same thing. Dude, this is only funny to you and me. Everybody else that is involved in all of this, they're going to take sides. They're going to like really honestly take sides. They're going to take sides against you, or they're going to take sides against me, or they're going to say, fuck it, I don't like either of these guys, and, and, and they're just going to wash their hands of the whole thing. And so what I eventually had to accept is that it's not going to be possible for me to have a phony baloney uh, rivalry with anybody, right? So I just let that go. But none of this really seems like phony baloney stuff to me, you know? This seems like a lot of people are sick and fucking tired of Kevin Smith and all of his stupid little antics, you know, and you know what? It kind of makes you wonder now to kind of tie things back to stuff I was saying earlier. There came a point when it's like Kevin Smith sort of turned on his own audience, which is to say, you know, comic book uh, collectors and sci-fi fans and people like that. There came a point when he sort of turned on them. Did the same thing happen with the cast? Did the same thing happen with Scott Mosier? Did the same thing happen with John Lovitz? Did the same thing happen with the Weinsteins? Did the same thing happen with Adam Carolla? Is it possible that all of these people woke up one morning and just said, you know what, fuck him and everything that looks like him. I don't want to have anything to do with this guy. For the rest of my days. Is it possible that Kevin Smith isn't the victim of anything? Is it possible that Kevin Smith has fucked things up for himself? 
And guys, I don't know the answer to that. You know, like I say, my, again, I don't know Kevin Smith, but my sense of Kevin Smith, at least to start with, was that he was one of those guys and, and, and people, we've all known guys like this, you know, those guys that are just nice, you know, the kind of guy that everybody gets along with, or if somebody doesn't get along with this guy, it's probably that person's fault. That's who I originally thought Kevin Smith was. And his own actions have kind of showed me that, you know what? All of these rivalries that he has with other people, all of these, I don't know, all of these fall, uh, fallings out, all of these conflicts, all of this drama, maybe it's Kevin Smith's fault. Is it possible? I don't know. But I think so. So, anyway. That was basically the majority of what I had to say uh, about, about Kevin Smith. Now, when I put this whole thing up on Facebook, Tom Panarese, the the host and lead blogger for the Pop Culture Affidavit podcast, and blog, respectively. He asked if this is something for which I'm soliciting feed forward. And the answer to that, very simply, is yes. And so I've actually got a little bit of feed forward here that I'm going to work through. And we're just, we're just going to see where all of this goes. The first thing that came through, this is actually from a listener by the name of Steve Rogers. The subject line reads, some quick words about Kevin Smith. And it's actually dated today. Actually, yesterday. No, it, it's dated yesterday. So Friday, October the 21st, 2016. Steve writes, Your Excellency, I know I promised multiple treatises, but I'm sure some quick hits might suffice. This is a lot rather, there is a lot about Kevin Smith's work in movies and TV to like, particularly in his early work and his desire to grow a podcast empire off of being a good storyteller, quote-unquote, at Q&As and panels. But I think in a lot of ways his downfall kind of speaks to the idea of him being more of a dreamer and big-picture guy and needs someone to snap at him and say, no, let's go back here and see what the problems are and fine-tune this a bit. Perfect example does seem to be the ever-evolving second sequel to Clerks and Mallrat sequel. Someone I talked to about these projects probably said it perfectly. Kevin Smith loves to make big announcements, and I'm guessing doesn't often get his ducks in a row on the broad strokes. I'm going to put this email on pause and say, shit, I wish I'd actually read this. I mean, no offense, Steve, but I actually now I kind of wish I'd read this before I started this whole diatribe. Because, wow, that is actually a very good way to put it. And I would have let you make that point rather than me make it for you, which I did just a second ago. But anyway, so sorry, Steve. Uh, mea culpa. Um, if I'd known you were going to do this, I would have let you make the point. So I apologize for that. To get back into Steve's email, though, he writes, The reasons he uh, his last three movies, which is to say Red State, Tusk, and Yoga Hosers, were done was due to low budget and self-distribution uh, self methods. 
Something like clerks or mall rats kind of deserves a more grander scale and probably wouldn't be as accepted if they were done with the same low-budget and rushed treatment as his latest output. In a way, a lot of it comes from an insecurity, a need to keep up a self-deprecating uh, demeanor, yet still be in an environment filled with the type of fan base members that will constantly give them nothing but praise. And if they don't, they get blocked. In a way, it's like he's still chasing the idea that he's an innovator, quote-unquote, from his clerk's days, when if he just stayed himself, he may have, he just may have been the Judd Apatow before Apatow arrived, not chasing Apatow with Zack and Miri. To which I'm going to say, I'm going to put your email on pause and say, dude, hallelujah. I'm glad I'm not the only one that noticed how badly Smith was going for like a, a a kind of an Apatow sort of vibe with Zach and Mary. I, I, you know what? I actually thought about mentioning that when I was going through my little spiel just a while ago, but I thought, well, no one's going to know what I mean. So, but man, here we are. So I, I, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that. More from my ecto cooler. Mm, good stuff. Anyway, I better cut this off because I may veer a bit too much into inside baseball and amateur psychologist territory on subjects ranging from the fall of the viewaskew.com message board, his Wayne Foundation charity, oh geez, yeah, what a mess that was, and other personal relationship issues with people in and out of his life that might be a bit too much for the scope of this particular podcast. A lot of it can be found if you want to go down rabbit holes of his various podcasts, Smodcast, Tell Em Steve Dave, Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, Hollywood Babylon, and more. There are a couple of podcasts from the Smodcast in particular, though, and I didn't hear this when it aired, but a few years later, that probably foretells Smith's current career path. It's right around Zack and Mary's release, and then after, uh, after it's been out and trashed by critics and fans alike. If there was ever a podcast that encapsulate, uh, encapsulates a depressing end of one chapter in someone's life, with no real vision of where do we go from here, what's next, it goes from almost ranting about why Zack and Miri failed, then a realization that without whom... I'm going to try to parse this out as best I can. Then a realization that without whom he was about to attack... Oh, I get it. So I'm just going to start all over again. It goes from almost ranting about why Zack and Mary failed, then a particular, sorry, then a realization that without, uh, that without whom he was about to attack, he wouldn't have been able to do all the things he's done to that point, to pretty much resigning that an era of his life is probably over for good. Sadly, I don't seem to find those particular episodes on the Smodcast uh, proper feed, there may be a, a subscription archive, I don't know, but for now, I can't find those old episodes. Probably for the best, as it does seem to be a lifetime ago that he did those early Smodcast episodes. So, that's probably a good, quick and dirty piece of feedback. Actually, feed forward, Steve. So, that's probably a, a, a good, quick and dirty piece of feedback for the Kevin Smith episode. Signed, Steve. So, Steve, first off, just thank you very much for sending this in, especially on such short notice, because 
I'm going off memory here, but the way it goes in my mind, I posted that little, I don't know, announcement or whatever it was, that question on the Facebook group sometime on Thursday night, which means in roughly the span of like 24 hours, you wrote and then sent a pretty insightful, as you say, it's kind of short, but it's a very insightful kind of analysis of the situation. And you know what, dude, you brought up a, you brought up a bunch of stuff that I either forgot about or else never knew. And so thank you very much for, um, I guess expanding the record here a little bit. And I got to tell you, dude, also thank you for kind of reinforcing some of the ideas that, you know, I was having. It's so good to know. I'm not the only one that noticed some of this shit. So thank you very much. I really, I really appreciate that. And so that I think is pretty much it for me this week. That's pretty much what I had to say about Kevin Smith. So I think that's pretty much it for me. So as to next week, I'm going to be talking some more about Smallville, but that's next week. So as for right now, bye everybody. I will see you next week. dear friend once said to me, it's a lot of fun when everyone's a dork of some sort or another. And I thought not only are those words to live by, it's an idea worth celebrating. So that's why I created Pop Culture Affidavit, a podcast that is about, well, let's just say it's completely random. One episode might be about movies, the next might be about comics, the next might be about music. All that matters is that I'm giving you a recap and critique of stuff I enjoy and you're having as much fun as I am, or at least I hope. So join me, Tom Panneries, for Pop Culture Affidavit, The Sworn Testimony of a Dork. You can find a new episode at least once a month at popcultureaffidavit.podomatic.com and notes, essays, and other stuff once a week at popcultureaffidavit.com.
Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. I'm trailing. Man, it sure is great to be back to FCTC after such a long time. Yes, it is, and we've been away so long. Yeah, but real life... And... You know what? I, I just I just can't do this. Can't do what? We have taken more breaks from this show than my wife has had in her entire life. I mean, we can talk about real life getting in the way. Which it has. But it's it's just not fair. So we're not going to joke around, and we're going to simply say that for the moment, we're back, and there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about. Like season two of Lois and Clark. And the death of Clark Kent. And the launch of Superman the Man of Tomorrow. And the return of Lex Luthor. And the trial of Superman. And Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> the show can still be found at the Superman homepage, as well as at the Fortress of Baileytude. And we're still part of the Superman Podcast Network. So From Crisis to Crisis is back. For now. And it will still come out on Thursdays. Most week at www.fortressofbaileytude.com, www.supermanhomepage.com, or www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes. And you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, 
hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trenis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demanzacor of Milan, Italy.